Last week, I mentioned I'd be addressing a concept this week, selling without shame or guilt. Now, this addresses a recurring question and theme where too many of you think the only way to help others is to give them things. We're missing the point. We really are. We're going to unwrap this today in a way that may be surprising to some. I'm going to start with a scripture right out of Proverbs. We're going to break it down. I'm going to blow your minds in looking at this in a new way. Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, welcome into a brand new year. Hey, we are really rolled into 2022. Can you believe it? We got through 2021. Here we are, a brand new year. You know, there's something magical about new beginnings. No matter what has happened, good or bad, just having a new beginning Gives us a fresh start. I hope you feel that way. I hope you have positive anticipation about what's going to happen. I mean, the mindset of anticipating positive things is more important than what's happening in the economy, what's happening at your job, in the government, the White House, all those things. No, your anticipation, your mindset is what's going to determine what this year looks like. And I know you're on board to make it a great one. Well, this is 48 Days Radio Show, 48 Days coming from my book title. If you're new to the show, 48 Days to the Work You Love, where I say 48 days is enough time to assess where you are, get the advice and opinion of other people, identify three or four options, do a little bit more research, choose one and act. And you could do that in 48 days, no matter if it's where to go to school, what house to buy, what where you're going to go to church, what college you're going to go to, what business you're going to start. That's a process you can move right through. So welcome in. Happy to have you here. Please share the podcast with others you think could benefit from it. That's the way it continues to grow as now for over 15 years. Happy to be here week after week. Now we got just a few things I want to just kind of give you an overview of where we're going. And we're going to jump into this topic about selling without shame or guilt. So some of the questions today, Dan, when you were first getting started, how did you decide that career and life coaching was going to be your niche? Someone says, how can we get people who have the means to help with spreading our message to people who need it, but can't afford it? Dan, uh, how do you get someone to join your mission? Somebody says, I have a dream of opening a breakfast cafe with a limited menu that could serve as a location for people to gather for Bible studies. Hi, Dan. I'm seriously considering real estate investments in 2022. I know there are many ways to invest in real estate, but I want to choose the option that allows me to invest my time going on missions trips. All right, now it's pretty easy to see a theme there. Because of what I mentioned last week, we got a lot of questions this week. These are some of the ones we're going to be addressing, but they all have this recurring theme. If I want to give, I want to help. I want to have a mission. All right, so we're going we're gonna to look at that, and trust me, we're going to open your eyes to some things that you maybe not have looked at before. Quotation is this. Our quotation comes from Proverbs eleven twenty five, where it says, A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. All right, that's our quotation. 
But as when we get to developing that, I'm going to read you the very next verse, and that's where it's going to blow your mind because it's going to be a startling switch on what you thought it meant to be generous. Okay, hang on. Our resource for today is a link to the 12 books that we're going to be studying through in the Eagles community. So if you're a member, you'll be, you'll, you'll be right in the groove as we go through those one by one. Uh, if you're not, you can just grab the link here, see the books, what months we're going to be talking about them. And uh, certainly I recommend that you get the books anyway and go through those. So if you go to 48days.com slash Eagle Eye, Eagle Eye, now it's spelled out. So it's E-A-G-L-E-E-Y-E, Eagle Eye. You can get that resource to see what those books are and then links to get them, of course. Okay, let's uh, move on here. Now, just kind of uh, just some news updates. Uh, in November, I've been talking about how many people have been quitting their jobs. I mean, we know that's an exploding phenomenon. We see the numbers rise every month. It's not diminishing. It's continuing to increase. Back in April, it was 4.3 million. We thought that could never be a number that would be hit again. In November, we don't have yet the records for on the numbers for December, uh, this being the first week of January. But in November, there were 4.5 million people who quit their jobs. 4.5 million people. I mean, that's just historically unheard of. 4.5 million people who had jobs decided, nah, I don't want to do this anymore. Now, I'm hearing from a bunch of them, and for a variety of reasons. Variety of reasons. But... A lot of people are saying, hey, enough is enough, and they're just walking away from their jobs. Now, at the top of the list are healthcare and service industry jobs. Probably no surprise there. So a lot of restaurants you go to, they say, gee, the wait is 45 minutes, and you look around, and half the tables are empty. And it's like, what's up with that? Well, it's not because they don't have room to seat you. It's because they don't have people to serve you. That's continuing who knows how this is going to all shake out. Now, with that being said, I mean, what we have to be realistic about in this too, there were 4.5 million people who quit their jobs. New hires in the month of November were 6.7 million. So what this means is people aren't just walking away and all of a sudden we've got, you know, 80% of the people who aren't working at all. No, people are changing. So we had... Again, the numbers there were 4.5 million quit their jobs, but 6.7 new hires were made in the same month. So that's really a positive compilation of what's happening in the workplace. People who quit are taking other jobs. They're not leaving the workforce. They're just looking for better opportunities. So it makes it very important for employers to figure out what can I do to make this a really attractive place to be? And that has a whole lot to do do with a whole lot more than just money. We've talked about that before. People need a sense of autonomy, mastery, and purpose in addition to a paycheck on Friday. Autonomy, mastery, and purpose. So companies are figuring that out. They're doing some really innovative things to bring people on board in a company that matters. I mean, we've been, we're fortunate at 48 Days to have a whole lot of people who would like to be involved with what we're doing because they believe in what we're doing 
that it really does have a purpose. We give them a lot of autonomy and opportunity for mastery to figure out how to do things better. I mean, those are the things that are making attractive positions for new people coming in. All right. Selling without shame or guilt. Now, I keep hearing from people, you know, who hang their head in shame at the idea of having to sell something. You know, they'd prefer to just give it away. They, they like what they're doing. But they hate the idea of being a salesperson. You know, people say, you know, I, I'm not a salesperson. I hate the whole idea of it. Uh, they think that giving holds a higher honor than selling. They don't want to admit that they're selling. They try to sneak it in as a necessary evil to an otherwise honorable business. Really? I mean, how does that make any sense at all? I mean, you can't have a business unless somebody's selling something. You can't have a job unless somebody's selling something. And you can't get people to show up for your Sunday school class and just you're selling the idea of doing that. You can't be a teacher without selling people on the concepts that you want them to learn and absorb. I mean, it just, it, it's mind-blowing to think that you can have anything that is productive in any way if somebody is not selling something. So in Proverbs Solomon said that if you have something good to offer people, you have a moral obligation to sell it to as many people as possible. So let me ask you a couple of questions here. Do you believe in yourself? If you're going to sell, you're going to have to believe in yourself, your integrity, your character, your desire to truly only do things that will benefit others. I mean, is that true of you? I mean, do you believe in what you have to sell? If you're selling something you don't really believe in, then you will rightly feel like you have to manipulate and con people into buying it and hang your head when you hit the pillow at night. No, you better believe in what you have. But I mean, that could be true. It doesn't matter what what it is you're doing. If you're working in a manufacturing plant, do you believe that the work you're doing will benefit people ultimately? You can be working on the, the line at Tesla. If you believe that people benefit by getting that car when it's finished, then you can be proud of what you're selling. Do you believe that when you're selling, you're helping that person or even that the person buying from you will benefit perhaps more than you? I'll give you an example of that as well. But selling, you know, it's, I mean, it's the lifeblood of any organization, any organization, doesn't matter what it is. Now that also is going to include as you'll see in some of the questions we're going to address here, nonprofits, you're selling something. Don't think that you've removed yourself from that. You have to sell the idea, the concept, the purpose, the ministry, the mission, whatever. You have to sell that. And if you can't sell that effectively, your organization is going to fail. Without selling, that organization is going to die. No one will be able to benefit from the product or service that was being offered. If I... At 48 days. Now, we give away a lot of materials, a lot of books. But if that's all we did, I mean, we'd shrivel up and close the doors in 30 days. Selling is what makes it possible for us to help a lot of people in ways they may not be able to receive help otherwise. So let's go back to the verse. Proverbs verse. So I read Proverbs eleven twenty five. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Here's the next verse. People curse the one who hoards grain, but they pray blessings, God's blessing, on the one who is willing to sell. Uh, reflect back on that a second. 
There's going to be a curse on those who withhold what others need. So there's the critical issue. If you don't believe what you have will benefit people, then please don't try to sell it. But if you have something that people want and need, something that will benefit them, make their lives better, then you have a moral obligation to sell it to them. Now, this verse, it doesn't say there'll be a blessing on the one who gives it away. No, it says they pray God's blessing on the one who is willing to sell. Now, when I sell a copy of 48 Days to the Work You Love, you know, I get 20 bucks. I mean, that'll make a dent in lunch for Joanne and me, but not much more. But I trust the person who paid that $20 will have a life-changing experience. Let me just back this up a little bit. You all know everything I do started out of a Sunday school class. The natural progression of that certainly would have been to start a nonprofit. I mean, isn't that what you do when you're in a church or in a ministry? You start a nonprofit. So people, you ask people to give you money so then you can give away materials or teach or counsel or whatever it is. No, we went right into a for-profit business totally. Now, the interesting thing is, in hearing from people week after week after week, day after day, the most common phrase that I hear is, Dan, thank you for your ministry. Thank you for your ministry. You know, I used to scratch my head at that. I think, what, what are they seeing that I'm not seeing? I mean, you identify a ministry typically as a nonprofit. We are not a nonprofit, but people see it as a ministry. Gee, what a novel idea. If you're doing something that really does help people, that benefits them in unusual ways, it can transform their lives, they're going to feel like they've been ministered to in the most realistic way possible. So here's some of the messages that we get. Dear Dan, I can't tell you how happy I am that I happened upon your book, 48 Days to the Work You Love. I went from an unsure future at a dead-end job to an exciting new career in 32 days from the time I picked up your book. I truly believe it was a godsend, and I appreciate the work you do. Your book was filled with timeless wisdom and inspiration that helped me to take the necessary steps toward the work I love. My life is forever changed to do the work God has designed me to do. I wake up excited to go to my calling each and every day. Thank you for writing this book and making a difference in people's lives. God bless you. Sincerely, Joe. Now, he's not saying, you greedy, materialistic, capitalistic pig, why did you charge me for this book that comes out of your minute? No. He paid the 20 bucks or whatever. I think it's less than that on Amazon. And it transformed his life. Here's a note that was sent to Dave Ramsey, who recommends, you know, has recommended 48 Days to the Work You Love for 25 years. Dave, I gave my dad the book 48 Days to the Work You Love that you recommend by Dan Miller. And roughly 48 days later, he landed the most incredible job making over $100,000 per year. Thank you so much for recommending it. Chris, this comes from Paul. Dan, I want you to know that your book and message have changed my life. I read 48 Days to the Work You Love last April while finishing my master's degree. I was teaching at the time and sought a change in the direction my career was going. Your book helped me identify my transferable skills. Um, 
market myself, identify companies to work for, and hone my interviewing skills. Since then, I've been offered professional jobs with six different companies. I'm currently a project manager with a manufacturing company and will soon be moving into a project leader position with a company from my top five list that I developed as part of your book, Suggest. Just this week, I was offered two different jobs, and they both called me first. I feel like I'm on top of the world. Your book and message have made a lasting impact on me and my family. Thank you for helping us. I'm recommending your book to everyone I tell about my new job. God's blessings on you and your work. Paul. Cheryl says, I want to thank you for doing what God created you to do. Because of your books and emails, I did it. I now have been doing a job I love for two years. This comes from Sally. She says, next to the Bible, 48 Days to the Work You Love is the most life-changing book I have devoured. And I do mean devoured. I could not put it down. Finally, after 62 years of being the round peg in the square hole for trying to unwrap my gifts in the world that hadn't seen gifts, gifts quite like them before and discouraged me from even taking off the bow, much less ripping open the package and using the contents. After all of that agony, I pick up your book and find out there is someone in the world who understands. You, sir, have inspired me beyond belief. I have at least three things I could do well. I'm already putting them together. I'll let you know how it goes. Thanks so much for writing this book with more gratitude than I have words to convey. From my heart to your heart, connected by Jesus, Sally. Now here's that I'm, we get we have thousands of those in our vaults. I've never felt bad. Now that, that that's the end of end of those. I'm speaking for myself now. I've never felt bad about selling because I truly believe I'm helping that person, not taking from him or her. Now I've sold other things. I've sold you know, academic programs. I've sold cars. Uh, I mean, I, I've a lot. Of, I, I've had a health and fitness center, you know, sold fitness programs. I mean, I've sold a lot of different things, but I've always felt like what I was selling was helping the person, not taking from him or her. Now, I tell people that I expect them to get a 10 times return on any investment in what we have at 48 days, 10 times. Now, I just booked a young couple who's going to be coming here next month for my one-day voila coaching process. You can see what's what that has if you go to 48days.com slash experience. It's there. Voila. One day, $7,500. This couple helps couples in their struggling marriages. Now, obviously, they're not giving away their valuable biblically-based help. And obviously, I expect them to add an extra $75,000 to their income this year as a result of coming here and making that investment. Are you expecting blessings because you're willing to sell what you have? Are you standing back here, you know, wringing your hands, trying to figure out a way to give what you've got away so you don't have the embarrassment of selling? You missed the point. You... It doesn't work that way. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have some other things to intersperse here that directly relate to this as well. But let me insert some questions here. Todd says, Dan, when you were first getting started, how did you decide that career and life coaching was your niche? I know you taught Sunday school classes, but how did you decide that was something you could teach? 
did you just recognize a need and then get up to speed in that topic? Or did you have some previous experience that led you in that direction? I'm just wondering how that's all unfolded for you. I'm just looking for insight into my own path. Thanks. Well, Todd, thanks for your question. It really unfolded in a way that surprised even me. Now, I was working, you know, I'm a sales guy. I'm an entrepreneur. So I, I am a sales guy. So because of that, incidentally, we're talking about selling with honor here. I never have to worry about creating income because I understand selling. So it doesn't matter what happens. I mean, if people stop buying books, I'm going to be fine because I know how to sell. I enjoy selling. I can find something that will benefit people and walk them into the opportunity to experience that. So that's, that's part of it. When I was asked to teach a Sunday school class, it was before I had any books. I was not a speaker. I was not a coach. I was not an author. None of those things. I was just a guy who showed up. I mean, I was recovering from a horrible business crash, but I was selling things and we were doing fine. We were recovering. But because of just what the, the pastor saw in me, he asked, he said, he knew that I had a background academically in clinical psychology, that I had some experience, you know, coaching people in careers. And he asked if I would teach a class on that because there were so many in, in the church. This was a large church, about 7,000 members in Nashville, Tennessee. And there were a lot of people who were going through these inevitable, relentless, unwelcome transitions in their work, even back then. This was back you know, 2000. And I said, sure, you know, I'll do that. You know, I was always used to being involved. My dad was a pastor. I was always used to be involved in church. I've taught Sunday school class pretty much forever. I said, sure. That was it. I mean, I had no, no expectation, never entered my mind that what I would do there would have anything to do with me generating income. But we taught. And as you know, people kept coming. People kept coming. People came more. People came from other churches for that Sunday school class, and then they'd rush back across town to their church for the sermon. People would come from other states. And I thought, wow, this has really touched the nerve. So we moved that little class from Sunday to try to cram it in as a Sunday school class to two hours, uninterrupted hours on Monday nights. Met in an ancillary building on the, on the church campus called the Thompson Center, and uh, we met there, and people could come then without having to make it work around their Sunday schedule. And it just grew and grew and grew, and I just keep, kept giving people what they were asking for. I mean, that's really all that I've done, just kept giving people what they were asking for. They started asking for materials. I didn't have anything. I put together a little spiral-bound book initially that we got done at Kinko's. Then we modified it, put it into a three-ring binder with a couple of little cassettes stuck in there, just relaying the principles that I talk about here week after week. Just how do you understand how God has uniquely gifted you. Then what should that look like on Monday morning? But it was just that. But then in order to continue doing that, we didn't make those those three-ring binders. They were 39 bucks, $39 to get the, the material in there. And then ultimately two audio CDs were in there in the latest version before we went to hardback. But you can't just, I can't just show up week after week and give away 80 copies of that. They cost me about $7 to produce. We were selling them for $39, so $32 profit in those. But we sold them. We didn't give them out. We sold them. So when those people would come, yeah, we sold them. 
And in a two-year period, I sold over $2 million worth of that little three-ring binder. Now, there's a lot of details that went into that, but that's what I did. It was just the material that I was already offering in my Sunday school class, and I sold it and made a couple million dollars doing that. So I kind of walked into it, Todd. It, I did have background in clinical psychology and helping people make decisions, look introspectively, and then make decisions. Uh, but I certainly wasn't thinking that there was a direct connection between even that and teaching the class. I was just simply teaching the class to serve people well. It grew and grew and grew and continues to grow today. That message has expanded exponentially. I've got I've got a little more that I'll kind of add to that here in a second, but let me go to another question. John says this, I've been involved with the nonprofit for 12 years. I've written three books, podcasts, radio shows, interviews, still no progress. How do you get someone to join the mission? I need an editor, a marketing person, a web person, and I'm unable to pay anyone. How can I get, how can this work without more help? And this is not my primary job. It's my passion, my mission. I just want to quit. Maybe it's not what God's plan is for me. All right. Now, John, I went to your site. You've got content for moms, for dads, for families, for organizations. You've got the family center that you can rent out for events and conferences. You've got everything in place to use the same kind of process that I've used. Just make content available. You can do live events. You can do you know seminars and workshops. You can have courses that people go through, ancillary materials, guidebooks for the books that you've got out there. This ought to elicit speaking opportunities for you because you can speak on the message that's near and dear to your heart. And for that, I mean, my standard speaking fee is ten thousand dollars. I'm not in the high ranks, but I don't look for those opportunities. But when it comes, I mean, that's typically what, what I get. So you could do that. I mean, there's so many things that you can do and things that I've done with the 48 days message. You're perfectly set up to do that. But what I see when I go to your site, when I hit your site, the first thing I see, the big, bold red box, we need your help. We need financial support to continue. Although we have been working on many great programs that cost money, please consider a one-time donation or monthly donations. Donate here. That's the first thing I see, John. I mean, that's like, you know, walking into a party, you see a pretty girl and you walk up and say, will you marry me? You don't do that. There has to be, again, I want you to frame this as you are selling something. You're selling your mission. And if people are going to part with their money, you have to go through the same process as if you're selling houses or cars or furniture or jewelry. So the process is develop rapport and trust with those people. You need to do that. You need to give them a sense of who you are, how, why they can trust you. What's the reason they might be interested in what you're doing? Lead them gently in so they become regular consumers of your content. They love your books, the things you're providing. They'll recognize what you need to keep things going. But I would love to see you even move away from the idea of donate here. I don't have a donation button on 48 days, but I've got courses, 
books, seminars, the Eagles community, my mastermind, coaching, links to other things where I get a referral fee. I mean, there's lots and lots of things that are generating income from my mission, my passion. You can do the same. You're set up, but but it just I, I think it is really off-putting to go to your site and the first big thing you see is we need your help. Well, I need your help at 48 days, but I don't present it in that way. Please give to me so I can continue helping people to elicit the kind of testimonials that I just read a minute ago. It, it just is an unrealistic approach. Frame the things you want people to understand about your message in ways that they invest in the process to experience that message. And you can do that. I mean, you've written three books. I mean, that's a great foundation for sharing a message you're passionate about. But those books aren't going to be the source of your income. Those books introduce people to who you are and to other things that you have where they can invest you know, more than the 15 bucks for a book. Now, Dow asked a question, had an audio question, and in essence he was saying, how can we get people who have the means to help with spreading our message to people who need it but can't afford it? All right, that's a reasonable, reasonable question. How can I, when I have somebody from a transitional house in Kansas City helping Moms who have been on welfare transition back into the workplace, and she wants 48 days to the work heal of material to help them. She's like, you know, I don't have a lot of funds, but what can we do to get a bulk order? And I'm like, how many do you need? And I think she she said like 50 would give her a long-time supply. I said, what's your address? They'll be on their way tomorrow. We we send them things like that. How are we able to do that? It's because... We have other parts of the business that are very, very profitable that allow us the margin to be able to give in unusual circumstances like that. Absolutely. Now, this whole idea of just thinking that giving is the most honorable way to help people and that you just, no. There's a there's a remarkable white paper out there, and I, I'm sure you can find it. It's titled Stop Helping Us, written by my friend Peter Greer, who's president and CEO of Hope International. Stop Helping Us. He, as the head of a big international organization, discovered they're simply making people dependent on them. Instead of giving them reason to hold their heads high and take pride in being able to provide for themselves and their families, they're crippling people by just giving to them. I mean, even when offered with compassion, traditional charity should only be a temporary fix. I mean, it it enslaves people. It becomes a poverty trap. And you you can look at our government programs, and I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. We have generations of people who simply expect to be given the basic necessities, overlooking the talents that God has given them. It breaks my heart thinking that, no, I'm just going to ask for more and somebody's going to feel sorry for me and give it to me. I mean, instead of focusing on their potential, that kind of charity or subsidies, whatever you want to call it, 
cheats them out of using their God-given abilities and talents. Fortunately, the church, nonprofits, mission organizations are waking up to this. They're recognizing the pitfalls of traditional charity. I mean, the way we help Africa, there are more people living in poverty in Africa today than there were 20 years ago because we've poured billions of dollars into a system that just reinforces poverty. So Peter Greer, CEO of Hope International, he says he's found that giving aid can lead to enslavement and dependency, whereas equipping people to prosper on their own allows those individuals to walk into their godly heritage. Bono, you all know from you too. I mean, he's one of the most outspoken people on forgiving debt, erasing debt from African countries and other poor countries. We need to give to these people, those of us who have resources. He's changed his position. He's changed his position on giving aid to poor people. He said aid is just a stopgap. Commerce, entrepreneurial capitalism. Now, he, he, he cringed when he said that because in terms of political bent, you know, he would certainly be more on the end of liberal giving. I won't categorize it with political terms, but liberal giving. And one of the uh, those who might raise their eyebrows at capitalism. You know, capitalism gets a bad rap a lot of times. You know, those people out there just making money. Yeah, well, Bono says aid is just a stopgap. Commerce and entrepreneurial capitalism take more people out of poverty than aid. Well, take a breath here. Switch gears. We've got a couple more questions I want to address. I hope that got you thinking. hope it gave you a new perspective on the honor, the high esteem that should come from selling because you're helping other people. You're helping them in a way that really helps them, not that just puts a Band-Aid on their temporary situation and makes them dependent on you. I had a pastor friend who helped out a guy in his congregation to, I don't want to give too many details. Anyway, he helped a guy out who was about to lose his business. The pastor stepped in, gave him a temporary loan just so the guy wouldn't lose his business. It continued to fail, and ultimately the pastor owned the business. Well, he was a good business mind. He made the business profitable, turned it around, and a couple years later sold it. I think it was like $28 million. So here's a pastor who had a vision. You know, actually it was more than that because I remember some other figures connected with it. But anyway, uh, he, he took some of that money, created a beautiful retreat center where he does allow pastors and missionaries to come at no cost. But it's very profitable, but it's because a high-end retreat and other people pay big bucks to come there. So again, structured it as a business. But because he had access to a lot of money, he had a whole lot of people who were standing in line with their hands out. He has horror stories. Actually wrote a book about it. No good deed goes unpunished. But he has horror stories about his experience in giving people money. People need money for their mortgage, can't make the mortgage payment. Okay, he helps them out, you know. 
1200 bucks, you know, okay, I'll help you out. Guess what? Next month they're back. He's like, no, wait a minute. I thought that was just a temporary thing. Well, we can't make the mortgage payment this month. And the way that they turned angry and hostile and hateful when he cut that off, I mean, that's what you do. Now, here's, here's the process that this goes through and that I really am going to move on. There, there's a process identified in the paper, that, well, the white paper, Stop Helping Us. Five stages in this. Give once and you elicit appreciation. Give twice and you create anticipation. Give three times and you create expectation. Give four times and it becomes entitlement. Give five times and you establish dependency. I'll put that in the show notes. That is just so profound and such a predictable pattern to walk right through that. All right, Chris says, Dan, I look forward to listening to your podcast every week. Your stories and the information you provide are encouraging and inspiring. I am 50 years old, recently moved my family from Texas to Idaho to be closer to the mountains and to enjoy the great outdoors. I'm fortunate to work for an employer who has allowed me to work remotely from my new location. I'm a designer for a civil engineering firm. I love having the freedom to work from home, but I still feel like I'm a slave to my job because of the workload and my own feelings of having to continually come through for the company even at the expense of my own personal time. I've always been a hard worker with a great work ethic. My employer often tells me he wishes he could clone me. I'm struggling with the feeling of being stuck in a rut, have been for several years. I have some endeavors I'd like to try. I've always enjoyed fiction, dabbled in writing. Also have a dream of opening a breakfast cafe with a limited menu that could serve as a location for people to gather for Bible studies. I was blessed to meet with a dear friend weekly for over 12 years for coffee, breakfast, burritos, and fellowship. I want to create an environment that draws people together for food, faith, and fellowship. I've learned a lot from your podcast, and my confidence has been boosted by the accomplishment of relocating my entire life across the country. I realize I'm not too old to make a change, but I recognize that I need more clarification and guidance. What would you suggest I do to get the ball rolling? Love your show. Love you as well, Chris. Well, thanks, Chris, for your kind comments and sharing your story with us here. 50 years old, moved from Texas to Idaho to be closer to the mountains. All right. You described that you're a designer for a civil engineering firm. So I am assuming from that that you create significant income, certainly enough to move your family across the country as you did. So I'm certainly not going to recommend you burn the bridge there. But... As you hear me talk repeatedly about using 15 hours a week to do something on the side, yeah, you can do that. Sounds like you're in a great place to do that. So 15 hours, what would that look like? Well, you say that you like to write. You've dabbled in that. Well, you can do that. Again, as a message to share what it is that you really have available that you can draw people into for things beyond that. Writing itself is probably going to be a hobby unless you see that book as a messenger to lead people into a bigger scope of things that you have to do. Now, when you say you want to have, you'd love to have a little breakfast cafe. Fantastic. Scope out places where you live. What would that look like? You know, buddy Ray Edwards has a, um, a coffee house out in Seattle that he and his son have a lot of fun with. And it gives them an opportunity to meet a lot of people and do a lot of cool things with them. Um, you can do the same. I mean, certainly you can do that. 
But I wouldn't suggest with any of these things that you quit your job. I mean, because you're going to have to have some significant traction on a separate idea, certainly to replace the income that you used to now. So you don't want to put that kind of pressure on something that you're doing as a side business, as a hobby, or as a passion project. If you have that little cafe where people can meet together and hang out, you know, if you make it cover the expenses and bring in an extra $50,000 a year for you, whatever you I mean, that's fine. But you're probably not going to be able to, to grow that unless you, you know, go the Starbucks route, you know, establish a franchise. You get a really good model and then you start franchising. That's a, it's a major business endeavor to do that. You may not want to do that. You may want to just keep it as a little meeting place. People hang out. Now, when you say you want to create an environment that draws people together for food, faith, and fellowship. Well, I've got some pretty close-to-my-heart examples of that. That's exactly what I wanted to do with the 48 Days Eagles community. We'd been having live events on our property up in Tennessee. So we'd have people 60 at a time. They would come in, and we'd have food, faith, fellowship, training, you know, good times together. We do exactly what you're talking about. And the county says, you can't do that anymore, as you know. So we don't do those events anymore. And I thought, how could we do that? Kind of, it may be a little bit different. It may not be exactly the same as being in a room together. How could we do that? Where you had people continue to meet together, to share their ideas and resources, to encourage each other, cheer them on. Thus, the 48 Days Eagles community. So it's very modest, $48 a month. We have about 700 people in there as we speak. You could do the math on that. Yeah, that's more than just a little side interest thing. I mean, that, we, we don't have any buildings, no employees. It's just a process put together to allow people to continue sharing ideas and resources as they were at our live events. So are there ways to do that? Absolutely. But again, don't think that because it's, you want to do that, that it's going to just be a drain on you financially. Create a model that's exciting for everybody to be involved that makes sense financially. So you can expand it, grow that. I mean, the only reason, wow, I mean, the only reason I don't have to ask for donations is because I have a business in place that creates the funds that allow me to give and serve in any way that I want to do. Okay, I'm, 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 I mean, I love the fact that we had a theme today to how these things kind of unfolded. Well, I've got one more here. Felix says, Dan, I'm seriously considering real estate investments in 2022. I know there are many ways to invest in real estate, but I want to choose the option that allows me to invest my time going on missions trips. So I'm thinking that maybe buying and renting would be the best option. That would mean I may need to get a property management company to manage I also do not have the money for fast growth, and so I'll be working a full-time job. Any ideas where to begin? What books would you recommend? Thanks, Felix. Well, yeah, I mean, what, what you're talking about? Absolutely. We've got a lot of people in the 40 Days community who are doing exactly what you're doing. Uh, Jeff Long up in Dayton, Ohio, buys really inexpensive properties, makes them nice, and has people living there who are in Section 8 housing. So they're getting some government subsidy on the housing. They feel privileged to be chosen because it's not easy to get. Privileged to be have the opportunity to live there. So they take their great tenants. They take care of the places. Jeff loves the opportunities to you know be their landlord, interact with them. He's got about, I think he's got 13 
properties at this point is adding on to those pretty aggressively. He's, they, they see him, he has an opportunity to encourage those people. You know, a lot of them are just kind of getting a fresh start. He can encourage them, give them op- open doors of opportunities for them. I mean, at the same time, sure, he's making money on that. You can do that. I mean, Kent Julian is buying properties. He and Kathy are buying properties. They buy kind of mid-priced single-family residences and then just rent them out where there's cash flow. The people living there are paying the mortgage down. He knows he's going to own properties free and clear in a few years. That's kind of a cool thing. But at the same time, again, the relationship is not just a transaction. You give me money and a lot. No, it's, wow, you know, we want to help you in a place that you're really going to love living at a reasonable rate. I mean, you can do that. Now, I want to connect you with another guy in our Eagles community. His name is Chris Niemeyer. Chris, and it's his website is exactly how it's spelled. Chris, C-H-R-I-S-N-I-E. M-E-Y-E-R.com. Chris Niemeyer. Chris, you'll be interested to know, owned Mission Travel. His heart and the biggest business he had a couple years ago was a travel agency that serviced primarily, you know, church groups, missions groups, and all of that. Uh, then um, in meeting me, you know, we st- he started handling cruises for people like me. So he did I don't know, five or six cruises for me. And I introduced him um, to people like John Lee Dumas and Pat Flynn and uh, Michael Hyatt, did several cruises with him. So he was doing that. Now, Chris has moved into real estate. He's very aggressive. And the last two years is mind-blowing what he's done, uh, multiple unit complexes and all that. And he's helping other people now understand how to do real estate. But his heart is in ministry still. And he can use real estate as a tool for doing that. So check him out, chrisneemeyer.com. I mean, he's got things on his site there. You can go right into connecting with him to increase your understanding of real estate and how you can have it do exactly what you want it to do. Well, man, I love this. I love what we were able to talk about today. Love the questions that were all framed around its idea of selling with honor. You can sell without guilt or shame. My goodness, can you ever. I love selling. Bring it on. I, I'm thinking about all kinds of new things that, that I can sell because I know that in doing so, I can help people hold their head high, put legs in their own unique gifts from God, do things to make them fully alive in what they're doing. Well, next week, I'm going to revisit goals. I've had a lot of input the last couple of weeks as we start the new year here about goals and my traditional kind of structured approach. Oh, I've had a lot of holes shot at that, including from my own wife and other people around me who I love and trust. Um, I'm going to give you a new perspective on that, perhaps. We'll talk about what really is essential in this process of starting a new year, what's going to carry you through to accomplish the things you want to accomplish, even if it's not structured in terms of the goals and the way that I describe them. It's going to make me rethink. I'm going to have a new guide as we roll into 2023. Trust me, it's going to look a lot different because of some of the new insights that I've just kind of been massaging. So we'll talk about that next time. Continue to shoot your questions in. Go to 48days.com slash askdan. And like today, if I use your question, I'm going to send you an autographed copy of the brand new 20th anniversary edition of 48 Days to the Work You Love. 
So thanks for listening. Thanks for sending in your questions, for being open to growing, for being a powerful force, for making the world a better place, and for believing without a shadow of a doubt that we can find or create work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable.